Hello everyone, welcome to Reflections from Eternal Weekend. For this episode, we're going to have the champion, Brian Kelly, on. Go ahead and introduce yourself for the six people who don't know who you are now. Um, I'm just say hello to everybody. Um, my name is Brian Kelly. I've been playing vintage for a while now. I started in 1994. A friend of mine brought over a revised starter. And by the fall of 1995, my brother and I were going to vintage tournaments locally in Scranton, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Um, and then I took a huge break, uh, starting with college and all throughout my 20s and early 30s. But a few years ago, I moved to a different part of the state. And one weekend, I noticed that there was a nearby vintage tournament, and I thought I should go and check it out. It was at the Players Guild, uh, run by Sean Griffiths. And I had such a great time that I went back the next month, and then I met friends. And they said, are you going to be here next month? Yes, I'll come back. And they're like, you should go to this this big event in New York. And I'm thinking, like, this was not part of the agenda. Like, I was just some, <laughs> looking for something small to do uh, on on a Saturday, on a free Saturday. But sure enough, I... I dove in and I was like, all right, what, what, what can I have to lose? I will go to this event in New York and it, in New York and it was the NYSC one. And I was playing a mayor fish deck and I went, I had an amazing time. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I made the top 16 and came home with a bizarre oh, Baghdad, which excellent. I promptly, I mean, promptly <laughs> traded for a Savannah and a Caracas and other things for the fish deck. <laughs> Mayor? Did you say Mayor Fish? Yep, Mayor of Avabra, Cavern of Souls Humans. Mayor is the human lord who turns into a werewolf. <laughs> that was actually during my break that you came back because I took a break when I moved out to San Diego um, from summer 2009. Um, I, get, I, I guess this is important, but I, I want to say it. Um, to, I had a short comeback. Um, in 2012, because there was a Grand Prix in um, okay. in San Diego, um, which was limited. So I'm like, cool, I don't need to own anything. I went to, I promptly 4-1, dropped down to 4-3, went home happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I got a new resurgence. <laughs> I just, it was like, I, ha I, I still have the deck sleeved in my closet, like with the channel fireball sleeves that they gave for free. Um and yeah. I hadn't gotten my cards yet. I, they're all split up from everywhere. My parents sent me some, and friends have sent me some. I just <laughs> I'm, I'm all spread all over the place. Like, um, but that's not important. Um, what's more important is <laughs> this guy who I'm talking to, who I said I feel like you're going to do well two weeks before, and you're like I'm just happy to be there, and here we are. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it, it's been very humbling and very surprising because uh, so many people at this event are so skilled and have been preparing for so long. And being the best player in the room and having the best deck is not sufficient to absolutely win a tournament of Magic. So no matter how well you pre prepare, <laughs> anything can go wrong. You can you that that's part of what makes Magic so interesting. Um, that there's this this wiggle room where things can happen far outside the scope of expectation. You can have the greatest deck in the universe and know how to pilot inside out. And it can be 
best positioned against the metagame and you can draw seven cards and they can all be lands and then you mold <laughs> to six and they're all spells um you you can never say with any confidence i'm going to take down this tournament because <laughs> you just don't know you don't know what your opening seven will be that's that that's a good way to put it um so i guess we'll we'll start from the beginning um your deck choice which i think it's funny that we were talking about uh batterman <laughs> before because his deck was the talk of the tournament until round 10 feature match <laughs> on camera happens and you proceeded to orchard orchard out your lotus against your opponent who went first turn sphere of resistance lotus right. out oath of druids and proceed mm -hmm. to oath up magus of the moat which Correct. i was reading chat i had i had i've been out getting i was out doing errands mm -hmm. and um I got a message that you're going to be on camera. So of course I pop up Twitch and like, as I Thank pulled you. up, <laughs> as I pulled up to my house, looking at it, I'm like, I have cold stuff in the car, but I watched you play the Lotus and the Oath. I was like, okay, I have a little bit of time. <laughs> Twitch chat went insane because they had no idea what the card was except for me. <laughs> and I think Sean Ottaway was in the chat too. Shout out to Sean Ottaway, mm -hmm. helping me explain okay. to people that's Magus of the Moat. His opponent can no longer win. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty close to that. Uh, Magus of the Moat is one of my favorite cards in the sideboard. Moat has been one of my favorite cards of all time. When I played in the mid-1990s, the deck I was most successful with and loved was one of those well-known blue-white, so-called Weissman the mm -hmm. deck control lists, which um, when I first started playing that, I played five colors, all the broken cards. I played Regrowth, Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> Time Twister. And then the as I... I was waiting for the one Regrowth for the... to be listed off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did play the one Regrowth. Um, and then as I got more comfortable with the list, I started to design it to my own tastes and my own experiences. And by the end, it was just two colors. I think I even cut Black Lotus at the end, um, where it was just, just blue-white. There were a lot of islands. There were a lot of planes. And there were two or three moats. Moat was just such an all-star. I've always loved the card. And I'm so glad that it's playable again in Vintage. <laughs> um because while I didn't play Paper Vintage uh, in the last decade, after I graduated law school, I did start to uh, just look into what was going on online and become familiar with the format. And I played it on a few online programs. And I, I knew nothing about the format. And boy, did I learn the hard way. I was <laughs> locked out of the game by a Goblin Welder Ubastax deck. And then people were animating their dragons. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And then I was getting stormed out with tendrils of agony. And I was like, this is blasphemy. This is such a disservice to the format I loved been remembered as a result <laughs> i've always strongly disliked storm combo i still to this day hate that deck with a passion <laughs> I, that did not yeah. however stop me from playing a so-called well i called it human storm a deck with tendrils of agony <laughs> you know, I, I was a double agent yes i hate storm but that doesn't mean that i'm above tendrils in you <laughs> it is what i started playing after i 
stopped playing Mayor Fish. Um, because in 2013, I, I was doing pretty well with this fish list. And then other people were playing it around the world, and it started to do well. It, it was getting attention because it had top eighted at Gen Con, and it, it won an event in Australia and Europe, I think, and then also in Lancaster. Like, I got it to the finals once. I got it to second place, but I never actually came in first place with Mayor Fish. Other people did. Then... I went to an event in Lancaster, and someone said, that's it. Like, your reign of terror is over. I am gunning for <laughs> I was paired against this person. He was playing land still with main deck, the, ab the abyss, <laughs> an engineered plague, and he slaughtered me. And then I was paired against a nightmare match, which was an Oath of Druids show-and-tell list. And the Oath of Druids <laughs> with show-and-tell was not popularized at the time. Someone had discovered this in Europe and brought it to a local tournament in Pennsylvania and destroyed me with it. And be between the Abyss and the Engineered Plague and all the stuff going on, I was like, all right, it, I'm going to try something new. Is, is that when you went to Oath? Is that like when when did you and Oath like when did you two start seeing each other? After that, <laughs> I I started toying around with a deck that became known as Human Storm, which was Cavern of Souls into Dark Confidant and Notion Thief mm. and Grand Abolisher to protect the Vault Key and Tendrils of Agony combo. And I won a tournament with it. It was the first no, it was the second tournament that I actually won since returning to vintage in 2013 um the first one was with uh, a stoneforge variation on jace fault i i took paul mastriano's list from the nysc one and put two stoneforge mystics in it and uh changed the counter suite a little bit and that was the first deck that i won an event with since returning to paper vintage the second one was my own creation it was human storm and even at world uh, champs one of my opponents said aren't you the guy that made that human storm deck and i said <laughs> yes uh, matt murray has taken on human storm and developed it more thoroughly since i switched to oath of druids i uh, the list that i played on sunday actually comes from my human storm deck um, my friend justin was over we had gone to a tournament and it we might have even gone out for a few drinks afterwards. I can't recommend that to anyone under 21. <laughs> um, but we did, and I wanted to try Vault King people and getting the Notion Thief Twister combos with Tendrils with an <laughs> Oath of Druids. I just took out the Dark Confidence and put in Oath of Druids. And I was oathing up all of these different value creatures and hate bears. And to our surprise, the, it it was very rough, <laughs> but it was more, more successful than we would have thought. It was like people were oathing up Grizzlebrand at the time, and I would be oathing up a Snapcaster Mage, and it would actually get there. It would be like, oh my gosh, that... Snapcaster Mage target Yawgmoth's will. With enough um, creatures, like you just, it's just a, a, a free can't even think of the right card here just put a card from your deck into play i i guess a free worldly tutor plus mind's desire for one i'm gonna call it that mind's desire for one you just got a free yeah. guy free guy and you know that that doesn't sound too terrible because all of your guys are castable mm -hmm. and you can just get freebies that's i like that. correct and it, it was a 
It was an upgrade to Dark Confident in function, aside from the fact that you need to run Orchards. Right. Because Dark Confident would reveal a card, you would lose life equal to its converted mana cost and put it into your hand. The Oath of Druids would take one of these creatures and put it into play for free every turn. Um, and as I started to tinker with this list, I was finding that the one that most correlated to winning on the spot was Ariok Salvagers. Mm, okay. And that's where that's where we get to where we are today. Just we can go through the whole evolution. We we definitely definitely are interested to hear. It came from Human Storm. I wanted to figure out a way to get my Notion Thieves into play more efficiently, so that I could time <laughs> twister with it in play or crack a memory jar. Uh, and the first turn, I called it Five Creature Oath of Druids because it had five creatures in it. Uh, I I think it was Notion Thief, Ariok Salvagers, Trinket Mage. Snapcaster Mage, and then I think the fifth one was was Grizzlebrand. <laughs> oh wow! And I took it to the Winter in top at Top Deck Games, and I I did very well. the The first thing that I oathed up was Trinket Mage, and I went and got a Voltaic Key and untapped my Time Vault and won on the spot. Wow! I love that. <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great i i think i just i don't know i don't know not everyone knows me but i have this unnatural love for trinket mage like i'm trying to get it to work in other formats where it don't where they don't have artifact lands and being able to mm-hmm. get a lotus with it and be able to get a top with it i don't know i just think it's such an elegant design that yeah. really doesn't have a good place anywhere <laughs> Aside from vintage, it's very vintage. Being able to get a Lotus is great. So, Lotus is great. Mana Crypt is good in situations. A Soul Ring can be good. Like, people love playing those cards. Civic Wayfinder is the one I'm I, I'm most fondly playing. The two two, you get a land. That's basically Trinket Mage, but 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 Trinket Mage that can get you Black Lotus. Like a... he's, he's an accelerant. <laughs> yeah. And unlike things that are just pure accelerants, he also gets you business spells when you decide you need a business spell. And the fact that he can also get engineered explosives mm-hmm. to deal with problems is just puts puts it over the top. It's a great card. And and allows you to main deck a graft digger's cage if you have more than one. Which <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> I wouldn't main deck that in my list. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so we go from Oathing up south of trinket mage to. Um, to Salvagers and Grizzlebrand and Magus of the Future. After, <laughs> um, I wanted, my goal when I built these decks was to get them into first place. I wanted them to win a tournament. And once they won a tournament, I would start working on the next list. So after I won a tournament with five creature Oath of Druids, and when this was posted on the Mana Drain for the first time, I had so many messages <laughs> like, you know, I've always admired your innovation and, and kind of got what you were doing, but this five creature Oath of Druids, I have no idea what the heck <laughs> is going on here. I think you've jumped the shard. You've gone too far. <laughs> you've, gone, you've gone mad with power. You've gone mad. It just makes no sense to me. Um, after that, I... I started looking in... I tried to build Vintage Eggs. So, do you remember that <laughs> Eggs deck from Modern? I I remember that deck a couple years prior to that, and if you were trying to do an Extended. Back when Extended existed, when you actually cracked Dark Water Egg, 
And um, <laughs> hold on, on, the eggs were named after the filter lands. So I forget the rest of them. I guess moss, moss something. Well, you actually were you were using the Odyssey eggs mm-hmm. because it gave you two mana and drew a card. That's why the deck was called Eggs. No one, yeah. like no one. Not many people remember. It's not just called eggs because it's some stupid nickname like yeah, solidarity, like solidarity or nausea or uh, I'm not gonna name off a bunch of them, but people know the dumb name. I guess we can go back to the old combo decks that had serial names and like mm-hmm. no, it's eggs because they actually broke eggs to go infinite. Right, and it was the basis for a tendrils of agony list in vintage at one point. Those eggs, I remember people cracking those eggs and cracking more eggs and <laughs> doing terrible things, and then I would get ten drills. Um, so I think Second Sunrise had just been banned in Modern, and I don't follow other formats. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, at, when you play Magic, no matter what format you. You're in circles where you can you come across news from other formats. Right, like of you, course. Oh, Deathrite Shaman is banned. I, of course, I heard about that even though I didn't play the format then. So I looked at... I wanted to know what <laughs> what could have gotten this card Second Sunrise banned, and I looked at the list, and I thought, well, let's see if we can adapt this to Vintage. So I got a, a lot of Chromatic Stars and Chromatic Spheres, and... Um, started working on this deck of course i began the list with cavern of souls because at the time i just started i was like everything has to start with three or four cavern of souls <laughs> i even had them in my five creature oath of druids deck to go along with all of these eggs i started using magus of the future i wanted to test magus of the future in this shell and i was finding that even the eggs aside that magus of the future was just phenomenal off of cavern of souls so the next deck that I was playing and, and working on was Magus Bomberman. Uh, Bomberman with Magus of the Future. And I played that for several months. I played a variation of that at the NYSE 2, which had Tendrils of Agony in it. <laughs> um, and that did get, that also got to number one. I won a tournament with it, and then I was like, all right, the, uh, we're next good. Up. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, after the NYSE Part 2, I just went into a chill-out phase where someone had dared me to um, top 8 a tournament with Send Triplets. It was Rob Edwards. He said, I, <laughs> I dare you to top 8 a tournament with this card. And so I thought, what can I even play with Send Triplets in it? And I thought, maybe, maybe my 5-Creature Oath of Druids deck. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, I put him in a 5-Creature Oath of Druids deck and... I, I top aided that event. Rob Edwards himself was my first opponent. You would not believe this. This actually happened. <laughs> he was playing Oath of Druids. Turn one, he plays Show and Tell. He puts Grizzlebrand into play. I put Send Triplets into play. Oh, wow. He, I mean, he's the one that dared me to play this card. And he had to pass the turn because he, he knew that he was bottlenecked on mana. Um, and that there was that if he started drawing cards, all that was going to happen was I was going to be playing them on my own turn. Um, I, he may have used up his Black Lotus to play the show and tell. I think that was what the issue was. And so I untapped and I, 
I just annihilated him with the centriplets <laughs> because I had access to his hand and my hand, and I played my time twister, and then I played my Yogmoth will, and then I time walked, and then I played his time walk, and then I played his Yogmoth will. Like, it was just ridiculous. So re- remind everyone because I actually don't remember. I'll, I know the art. Is that weird? I know the art, but remind everyone what exactly Centriplet does, because I know it's a commander product, legal and only legacy and vintage. It's, um, actually, it's from one of the expansions in the Alara block. Oh, is it? Uh, maybe oh. Alara Re- Yeah. Oh, it's my bad. It's two white, black, blue. I think it's two, three. Um, I think it's a human wizard, and at the beginning of your upkeep, a trigger goes onto the stack that your opponent cannot cast spells that turn, and you may play spells from their hand as though they were in your hand. You can play lands off of it. Wow. So you get you get to... Wow. Okay. That... Now, it's not a good card. No, it's... it's not normally a vintage playable card, because... Vintage is too urgent a format to be like, here's this five drop, which is an artifact. It's also an artifact creature. Oh, wow. It's vulnerable to everything. And when your opponent has a full turn to anticipate their effect, they can empty their hand. There are are too many things you can do to thwart its intended effect. However, if someone is going to (laughs) play show and tell and let you just throw it into play, that works. (laughs) <laughs> start with start with it in play. Send mm-hmm. triplets versus Crystal Brand. Send triplets wins. That's good to know. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I did, did not win that event. Oh. <laughs> of course not, because that card is very suboptimal, <laughs> and uh, I think that card contributed to a few game losses after that. But I did agree to take the challenge and to play it, and the dare was to top eight with it, and I did that. So I, I kept my word. I kept my commitment. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'll do that someday, and it never happens. I, I did. That's... I don't even know what to say to that, except that that's amazing. <laughs> okay, so so next thing off the bucket list, Stent Triplets crossed out. What was the next thing you wrote? Because I'm assuming if you top-aided, um, you went on to a new deck. I did. I By then, it, it was... We had champs coming up, and I was uh, testing decks, even though I knew I couldn't go to champs that year because I scheduled a cruise for the week of, <laughs> for the last week of October, long in advance, thinking, "Oh, champs 2013. It it was in the first week of November. Um, I can hopefully expect it'll be around the same time frame. So I'm going to go on this cruise in October, and then." When they released the date for Champs, it completely, it overlapped with the day of departure. Like, uh, if, if Vintage Champs had been on the Saturday instead of the Sunday, the way they have Legacy Champs on the Saturday, I could have gone to Philadelphia and then departed for the cruise the very next day. But it was on the exact day of departure, so I missed it. Um, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. So after Champs, I... I started playing a blue-white-red deck with Seeker of the Way. It was it was similar to uh, the Delver lists in in our play group. Um, we, there's a group of collaborators known as the Academy. We're not formally a team, but we exchanged ideas a lot, and we had a lot of admiration for the draw engine in Delver. But we had just as much disrespect for the card Delver of Secrets itself. <laughs> so we we all wanted to apply that draw engine to something more powerful. Um, and I began 
I had not played Gush before uh, in Vintage. Like, I was inexperienced with Gush. So I built this Gush deck for myself with um, maybe two young Pyromancers. And I was playing Seeker of the Way, which is that 2-2 prowess creature from Cons of Tarkir that gets lifelink. And I found that it was performing like a more powerful Stoneforge Mystic in that list. The Stoneforge Mystic, you pay one in a white, and two turns later, maybe three turns later, uh, you have a 4-4 creature. With Seeker of the Way, it was like you put it on the table, and on your next turn, you, you do what we creature. see. Yeah, we know what happens when monast- when you want people on top with Monastery Mentor. Yes. Um, so I was, I was getting people with the Seeker of the Way. It was... And I, it enabled me to run Containment Priest, which had just been printed in the sideboard so that I could offset the abysmal nature of the Delver versus Oath matchup, which <laughs> any way you spin it, it's abysmal. It it's, doesn't matter yeah. what you do. You can, you can play Nature's Claims. You can play Containment Priest. It's unfairly abysmal. <laughs> it's so obscenely lopsided in favor of Oath. It, it's at the level where... It's like Shop versus Belcher. Although the Living Wish Belcher deck is better than the Blue Belcher we we became acquainted with recently. The the Oath versus Delver matchup is so polarized. Yeah, like I remember I was watching um, Rich Shea streaming and he purposefully activated his Oath of Druids into a Containment Priest because he was filling up his graveyard for his Yawgmoth's well. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> you, you you can't you cannot attack me at enough angles in order to make this work. So, so it we're takes gonna... too many elemental tokens to match Grizzle Brand or Sphinx of the Steel Wind. So I'm 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 gonna try to make a prediction here. Um, you weren't too into Mentor, and then Dragons of Tarkir comes out and changes your life forever. Um, that might be somewhat of an exaggeration. I enjoyed the set very much. Um. As you as you projected, that Seeker of the Way deck did turn into a mentor list once Monastery Mentor was printed. It was like they printed this card, and I already had the shell for it. It was like, all I have to do is take out the Seeker of the Way and put in this Monastery Mentor. I didn't, I didn't dislike Mentor. I actually played a mentor list at Eternal Extravaganza 2. Uh, that's a Black Magic Gaming event that they have uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Tales of Adventure. And I split first place there. It was the largest tournament of the year at that point in March. I think there were about 121 players there. And Mentor performed well for me. I only played two Monastery Mentors, though. Hmm. Was that, but it, was that, it was a Mentor deck. Was that during the um, the sort of... Because I remember Kev, Kevin Cron, he played a Mentor mm-hmm. for Treasure Cruise deck. He said that only could exist in this tiny rift between the banning kicking in and the set becoming legal which i think is like one of the coolest tournaments ever that like this strange just gap that like because it's kind of like standard for so people play standard there's always this strange wild west of the format for three months when there is like a basically too many sets for it to be a good format but the rotations have to happen in a specific way in order for it to work well the three block i guess the two blocks gonna change that now but like um Mm. where you just get these crazy decks that exist for a very short amount of time and i think stuff like that 
and that sort of stuff is pretty awesome like the vintage that the 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 gap is like a week you get a week <laughs> treasure cruise mm -hmm. twice in one turn and get two mentor tokens i guess you could um, do that in standard right now but that's not the point <laughs> this was not in that period um there, i think eternal extravaganza one may have been in that period and uh, a friend of ours vasu he uh, he did really well with tassiger gifts Bomberman at that mm. event but at this event it was in march so monastery mentor had been legal for several weeks over a month uh and gifts ungiven had been unrestricted treasure cruise was restricted so i mean it was a dig through time okay <laughs> it was, there we go it, it was a dig through time deck yeah and then when they released dragons um i saw the spoil spoiler for dragon lord dromoga and i thought hmm I, I guess and then a few minutes later i was like wait a minute what does that do <laughs> <laughs> it's like me and sphinx of the still one i feel like every time they i look at it it has a new ability yeah i was commentating on it and they were like oh he, he shouldn't attack because he'll be tapped and he's like he has vigilance okay yeah oh he has a removal spell it has protection from green okay uh mm -hmm. but the life total it has lifelink okay <laughs> all right it does yeah. everything dromoka does so much and as soon as i processed it i thought is this just specifically designed for my salvager's oath list it, <laughs> it's the only oath deck that plays white it's the only bomberman deck that plays green so <laughs> There's nowhere else in Vintage this card fits. It's exactly what I'm looking for because I hate counter spells and I hate opponents messing with my plans so much <laughs> that even when I had all the big creatures main deck, I still kept a Grand Abolisher in my sideboard. And I won many games solely because of that card. That effect is so powerful. First of all, when I first saw it, I didn't realize it had lifelink. <laughs> Which is like, it's just... These these big cards that they're able to cram so much into because of the cost, but like the cost of Dramoke isn't even that high. It's six, right? Right. I you, I initially thought it was seven. No, it's mm -hmm. six. It's it's green, white, four. And mm -hmm. so like I feel like more people should have noticed it right away, but I guess <laughs> unless it's blue and draws cards, nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there, there were a few comments in the Dragonlord Ojutai thread on the Mana Drain where it was pointed out that the best Dragonlord of the bunch was probably Dragonlord Dromoka, and okay. I certainly agreed with that. I'll, I'll definitely give credit to that. The fact that it's uncounterable too. Actually, it's uncounterable, but you technically can still hit it with a counterspell to just do nothing with the ways that uncounterable mm -hmm. I think that's a little interesting. Um, that's always a rule I've never liked, how I felt uncounterable should be like, um can't be targeted like it's just it doesn't allow you to play yeah can't be can't be countered actually allows your opponent to misplay i think that's a little iffy especially for newer players but i guess if you're you know you should know how your cards work when you're playing in a tournament section session that's a very small thing for me but it's a pretty big thing in general just not for your opponent misplaying but just for having the cards you know that that's an interesting topic and that that certainly might make it for a good topic uh, for debate i I don't have a strong opinion on that either way. I don't, it's possible that maybe there should be a change to the rules that 
a spell that is uncounterable, gets something something more similar to a hexproof while on the stack kind of ability. We might one day see that in a rules update. Um, for right now, I can say that things like Cavern of Souls, Abrupt Decay, Dragonlord Dramoka, they have all of the advantages line up in favor of the person piloting those cards. So the, the fact that they <laughs> enable punishing your opponent for making a mistake um, uh, gives the competitive edge to the dragon in the cavern. Uh, the rule, I mean, the rule definitely, the beneficiary of that rule is the person piloting the uncounterable card. Right, yeah. So the the deck you brought to NYSC3, was that pretty much like, it, it wasn't perfectly tuned. I looked through your old deck list to get some good notes for this, and mm-hmm. I noticed you had like two salvagers, you played the Lion's Thanks. Eye Diamond, you only had one dig. Yes. <laughs> Lion's Eye Diamond. I, my gosh, that card. <laughs> I mean, there are days where you win with it, and you when you win with it, it's the only card <laughs> that you could have won with. And then you're like, I can never cut Lion's Eye Diamond. And I'm sure a lot of Storm players know this. And then you have those events where you, uh, there's a lot on the line, and you draw your opening seven, and it's hideous. And it's hideous <laughs> because it has Lion's Eye Diamond in it. So I had been going back and forth on Lion's Eye Diamond for the longest time. And then when I went down to one salvager and I thought, I don't want this card in my opening hand. It was in my <laughs> opening hand a lot at the NYSC this year. And, and I was like, that's it. You know what? I'm just going to make my deck even more of an orthodox blue deck by cutting all of these combo cards. And we're not going to deal with Lion's Eye Diamond again. I mean, by <laughs> contrast, a few weeks earlier, I was playing against Delver and I went through this ridiculously sophisticated series of moves to resolve Yogmoth's will with Lion's Eye Diamond. I had to sacrifice <laughs> Lion's Eye Diamond for three blue and tap two Moxin and then draw a force of will with my Sensei's Divining Top to get it to resolve. And after that event, I was like, you know what? Justin's right. My friend Justin, he's like, Lion's Eye Diamond all the way. <laughs> I have to keep the Lion's Eye Diamond in. But after the NYSC 3 was so punishing to Lion's Eye Diamond in particular, it was just like, that's it. Never again. Poor and it's Lion's gone. Eye Diamond. It's a and good, I, gone, I gone. Did you sell it? Assistant. Did you just, you're so done with it. Did you just sell it no. off? Or... <laughs> no, it, it's in my binder, but it's not in my deck. <laughs> and I don't think it will be for a while unless i borrow something like danny batterman's idea to play belcher lion's eye diamond is amazing in that list yeah it, it, i i i really like lion's eye diamond i feel like it's a really good design it's not the perfect design and i know and it's definitely a mistake card because in the right aspect I, it can do too much but you know yeah and i'm seeing what you're saying about cutting um more combo stuff because let's see here so i i have all i i parsed it out just to make this easier you took out like a top of salvagers and led and you took out your sideboarded tinker just to go full-on dig sylvan repeal probe like you just play more card drawing yeah. cards less relying on the combo and watching you play it i guess the, i've seen you play more the version where it's less combo oriented it's more of let's mm-hmm. see what i get and not change my game plan and i definitely have seen, it's definitely running yeah. a lot smoother thank you yeah, the t- Tinker, I don't like Tinker. Sideboard Tinker, yeah. I, I had it in there for 
Delver, when Delver was monolithically blue-red Delver Young Pyromancer. And it, it served its intended role quite well there. Uh, probe you, you don't have a counter spell, or maybe you do, but I have a Flusterstorm, Tinker, I need my Sphinx right now, here he is. Um, but Tinker is, there are too many matches where Tinker is not where I want to be. I, I cannot reliably win with Tinker against Workshop right now, which is sad because th that's how people used to beat Workshop. Right. You, know, you wanted that fast <laughs> Tinker. Um, sometimes, first of all, it's often speared out. Second of all, Chalice Zero is just so punishing to Tinker right. intentions. Third, <laughs> I've lost after tinkering something, not just to like Duplicate or Metamorph, but also being out-templed by a Tangle Wire. Mm. <laughs> so I, I can't go on that plan. I can't just be like, I'm going to tinker and I'm going to win. No, it doesn't it doesn't work that way anymore. So I can't rely on tinker in that match. I definitely don't want to be on tinker in a blue mirror because I don't want to invest resources into a sorcery, which means you're talking, you're turning on their fluster storms. A blue one, you're turning on their pyroblast, maybe <laughs> spell pierced. And I'm not tinkering up Colossus, so going down on that many resources to put a Sphinx into play versus someone who is can vault key you on their own turn, again, not where I want to be. That That's really interesting. And I, I like how this is a singleton in your sideboard, and it's like five minutes of conversation. <laughs> that's I, I think that that's oh. a big proponent. No, I'm just saying in general, just general, like vintage in general. Like We just had a good discussion on one tinker. Like, the Tinker you're allowed to play and how it just changes yeah. a, a hundred things. Mm -hmm. But I guess more interesting because the list I'm talking about was the one that allowed you to win that Black Magic Gaming um, event, which yeah. I saw some people, friends of friends on Facebook, posting pictures. And I went through the pictures and I did find the picture of you in the belt. And I thought, <laughs> I think that that should be your Facebook picture. <laughs> <laughs> the flexing well, with the you. belt when you're in your Dramoka. Like I, I don't think that tournament can well, I guess the deck can't be summed up any better than you with a giant wrestling belt that they had made <laughs> for magic tournaments because because they just I, I, I love that concept. Like the the something physical that's not a trophy that people still vie for, I think that that's that's really that's it. It's either a trophy or a belt. And I kinda think mm -hmm. the belt's more practical. Because, you know, you could, you could carry around a trophy, and it's kind of cumbersome, but if you're just wearing this huge belt, they know something's up, and, you know, you have your hands free to hold your very important Dragonlord Dramoka. The credit all goes to Kelvin Hodges. I mean, he has, his events are a blast. Uh, you can scrub out entirely there and still have the time of your life. The first time I went to one of his events was in June of 2013. Again, it was friends who coaxed me. Come <laughs> on, you should come to Lancaster. What? Lancaster on the weekend? And I had, at the end of the night, I had had such a great day. And I was 33 at the time. I thought, you know, I, I had so much. So many things happen in my 20s and early 30s, all the clubbing, all, all the schooling, all the work-related stuff, interviews, successes, failures. But at the end of the night, I was like, I don't know if I've ever had this much fun <laughs> since I was 17. I think that is the Eternal Format community. I think that... It was fast. I, I just, I, I went to, so there was another Grand Prix in San Diego a couple weeks ago. Um, that I went to and the format was standard. I didn't really have any interest in playing it. 
and you know, I've got some duels and forces, and I wanted to play them. So I played in the Legacy event, and yeah. I, I did relatively well in it. I played all three days. I did not have a single bad experience. I had an iffy experience, but that was just my opponent's poker face. Like, he had a very, like... Mm-hmm. I look like I'm having no fun poker face, which, you know, after the match shakes my hand and smiling and we talk about the game, it's like, good. It's just like the people that take the time to invest in eternal formats are usually older, except for Sullivan Brophy, who's 19. He is the youngest high level vintage player I've seen, um, which is awesome. Spectacular. I, 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 I enjoy watching him play. Um, I really liked watching him play in the NYSE, the NYC three, um, even though the video wasn't the best, I still enjoyed it and was really happy that there was coverage. Um, and him playing in that top eight, just it, it, he did not stall on a single decision. He just, he knew what he needed to do. It's just, Dredge, here it is, here it is, here it is. Dredge, here it is, here it is, here it is. Like, I don't know if you watched it or went back and watched it, but he cast Stinkweed Imp. He cast, like, I think he cast Go. He just, like, he knew from, like, Turn zero, when I'm going to keep a seven-card hand that looks to discard what his game plan was. If I don't find any dredgers, I'm going to start attacking. I have enough lands. I have this. My bazaars don't matter. It doesn't matter if I don't draw a bazaar. I'm happy to dredge, like this sort of thing. And from a 19-year-old with that many cards to think of, there's, what, 13,000 cards in Magic? Like, I'm surprised by cards that I've been playing... On and off, if we count the hiatus I had for four years, which I still watch the Pro Mm -hmm. Tours just because I really enjoy that. Um, Nice. I've been playing. Did you read the spoilers too when a new set would come out? I wouldn't read spoilers. No, I would just wait for pros to tell me what cards I should be playing. I still did that (laughs) even when I was away from the game, even when I was in college and law school. Be like, hmm, this set. No. They're saying that they're going to completely change everything and release a revolutionary set, and they're calling <laughs> it Mirrodin. What, what uh, is, what's going on here? I, I've been playing since um, Urza's Destiny, more Mercadian Mask. I've been playing since then, so about 15 years at this point, and I still see cards I've never seen before. <laughs> like, I saw a card yesterday. It's from Urza Saga. It's a two and a green enchantment. Whenever any creatures becomes blocked, it gets plus one, plus one. And the only reason why I saw the card was because it's depicting an Urza versus Mishra fight that the latest article on MagicTheGathering.com was talking about making two flavor decks about it. And I was like, i never seen this card before. I that would packs, be pretty cool. I bought packs of this set. My Morphling I own is a pack Morphling that I pulled. It's destroyed. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. it's destroyed around the edges, but I pulled that Morphling out of a pack, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I can untap and attack every time, and attack multiple times. And my friends were like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that was the Volcarrier when I played, and so was Force of Will, although it was an uncommon. <laughs> so that was something else that was surprising when I came back to Magic. I mean, Wasteland was an uncommon from Tempest. Sure I was, was actually I actually came in fourth place at the Tempest pre-release, that's how old I am. I was at the Tempest <laughs> pre-release in Edison, New Jersey, and I won loads of Tempest stuff. I don't know if there were boosters <laughs> or boxes. There were wastelands all over our place. I, pl- I played with my brother, too, and um, I'm trying to get my brother back into vintage. So to find out that wasteland was like a 90 or $80 card, I'm thinking, like, what? <laughs> so did you did you sell out? Like, did you get rid of your collection? Yes, I... I 
I sold my collection in 1996. I sold it in 1998, and then I sold it one <laughs> final time in 1999. I sold a place set of Mishra's Workshops for twelve dollars and fifty cents a piece. Uh, but they're worth that much. It's not like you got ripped off, but it's just because uh, I I bought the bulk of my duels. I bought I got eight blue duels. You know they're kind of beat up, and a bunch of other duels that weren't blue. I paid like a hundred fifty dollars, and I was mm-hmm. iffy on it, you know. And now I can't get a volcanic <laughs> for under three hundred. Like, right? <laughs> it's it's crazy how the stuff changes. But I, I guess... do want to point out uh, you were talking about Sullivan and uh, his deck yes. is phenomenal. Yes. And his record is phenomenal to take down the NYSE and then turn around and get third place at champs the same year. Uh, secondly, 19, he is very young. But I also remember when I was 19, I was, I thought I was really intelligent. And I must have been intelligent because <laughs> I was a sophomore in college and I was, I did well on things that were very difficult. It's possible that I was more intelligent then than I am now so i I would never write off a 19 year old is too young to be absolutely brilliant and his list is so good and it's also terrifying because (laughs) salvager's oath is i'm okay with seeing normal dredge i'm i have to take a pause when i find out that dredge wants to go back to playing leyline in the void times four in its main deck i don't like that (laughs) i will board in a nature's claim i feel like i won more when i was 19 I had a game store (laughs) that was a college-funded bus ride away, like 15 minutes. I played there every Saturday and Sunday. I would build decks the day of for standard, win the tournament, play in the draft, second place the draft, I'm not very good at draft, and then come in the (laughs) next day, play the vintage, where it wasn't real vintage, nobody owned power, so I could do stuff like play food chain goblins with my not-banned goblin lackeys, and win that but it was real magic because vintage is the only real magic (laughs) we have (laughs) what is magic without library of alexandria it it's heresy definitely Mm -hmm. um i never could get that store to try to go proxy because that was what i've got five six like 2006 2007 when power was a decent price and trying to get them to Mm -hmm allow proxies because it was a free event the 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 sunday vintage well type one actually they called it type one the sunday type one was a free tournament and the winner got a single booster pack which honestly i was just happy to play with my cards like yeah play with these old cards like i like i said i'm getting my collection in small bits and pieces and i see like these four ofs i have in my box that i probably saved because i played in those events because i could you know, like, I have four Fire Imp. Fire Imp is two and a red from Portal. Two one, it deals two damage that comes into play. Like, <laughs> like if you're killing, you know, people that, oh, I get to play my Savannah Lions again, that card's great, you know? And I have these, all these weird yeah. four ofs. My binder's ridiculous. I have, like, nine Ball Lightnings for some reason. Seven, the, I forget the name, the Fledgling Dragon. The Threshold Dragon, one's Foil. And, like, it's just, you find all these old cards. Like, I went in my collection, and I saw that I had four show-and-tells. I was like, I saw show-and-tell getting played, and I was like, oh, I think I have four show-and-tells. Yeah. I went back home last <laughs> year, and I was like, oh, look, here they are. When I was playing <laughs> back in 2009, 
nobody gave a, a darn about show and tell. It wasn't even a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's funny how these old cards just keep on getting unearthed. And when you see stuff and like you, you see a card like that, I guess I'm just going back to your Magus of the Moat. Like technically, to be fair, I knew about it because I've been trying to get it to work in other formats. But mm-hmm. the first time I saw you do it in the R Vintage League against shops, it's like, if he does not have duplicate, he loses. What's what's Frexy Metamorph right. going to do here? It's going to do zero. <laughs> sure, they can. They can. Here's the thing with Mangus of the Moat: they can duplicate it, they can dismember it, they can forge up or cast a Steel Hellkite or Triskelion, or they can now maybe sacrifice a Hangerback Walker to a Ravager. But here, here are the problems with that approach. Your playing shop and you're playing against oath of druids which is threatening to <laughs> put a sphinx of the steel wind and a grizzlebrand into play dismember i don't really think is a card you're gonna want secondly hangerback walker is not that strong against oath of druids it's probably going to be something you board out because you need to keep both druids off the table your lodestone golems are fine forge masters are fine revokers are fine ravager might be fine because it enables you to kill so quickly but hangerback walker definitely something you want to side out against oath of druids um yeah so all of these uh, things that you want against oath of druids are not good against magus of the moat triskelion not where you want to be against oath of druids <laughs> Um, yeah. You might bring in Caracas or Metamorph. You're welcome to Metamorph Magus of the Moat as many times as you'd like. <laughs> Pay as much life as you'd like. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it is it is one of those, I don't want to say hole card because that sounds weird, or like poker, but I guess ace in the hole. I call it like those, those weird one of, but it's more of like a five of when you think about it, that just is one of those things where your opponent just puts their their head in their hands and just is like okay i've read the card i understand the card how do i beat mm-hmm. the card i think i'm dying to a gristlebrand <laughs> <laughs> right magus of the mo is spectacular in that matchup he's also spectacular against fish decks he's hilariously good against merfolk that comes up he's pretty strong against dredge uh, you narrow a lot of their options uh, because things like Rending Volley, again, not what people are generally going to be <laughs> siding in against Oath of Druids. You, you're going to see Wistmare, Nature's Claim, maybe yeah. Murderer's Cut because you can kill a Grizzlebrand with it. But the the sudden shocks that they're using to kill Containment Priest, not going to hit Magus of the Moat. And in theory, they can hard cast Stinkweed Imps. But like if you... <laughs> Trying to battle Oath of Druids with a three casting cost flying one two, you're really being bringing not even a knife to a, a gunfight, but a fingernail. <laughs> like if you want to give me twenty turns to find the Jace or to activate Oath of Druids, that's fine. Uh, so he's an f- extremely strong card. It might be surprising to some people, but I do not board it in against Young Pyromancer or Monastery Mentor decks. I, I can see that. It has three toughness, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it has three toughness, and it's like, if you had four toughness, maybe. But that's still double bolt kill you. So I, I definitely maybe. understand that. So I guess mm-hmm. you keep keep the deck moving along because we've gone on a couple tangents, but I think those are those have been very good tangents. Vintage Champs Thanks. comes up. You look at your deck, and you're like, 
Maybe I don't need Yoggmoth's Will and Demonic Tutor. Maybe I need right. Dak Faden in another top to come to your current <laughs> list. So let's the thought process on that. <laughs> well, oh, I and am, also I, sure. cutting cutting your Notion Thief, which listening to you before realized that that Notion Thief must have been extremely hard to cut, knowing your history with it and how much you liked it. <laughs> yeah. There had previously been a Cavern of Souls in the main deck. I kept the Cavern of Souls in the main deck to force through the Oryx Salvagers, and because occasionally Magus of the Future would be run in the main deck, which is a great card, um, and the Cavern would be useful for the sideboard Notion Thief. I used to keep more dedicated Stormhate in the sideboard, like Ethersworn Canonist. Um, I cut that when I realized as much as I hate Storm, it really doesn't constitute enough of the metagame to gobble up two or three of my sideboard slots for just dedicated Storm hate. So, yes, I, I, I cut the Notion Thief. I cut Yogmas Will and Demonic Tutor. Yogmas Will is very powerful, and it would have me winning in glamorous and spectacular fashions. <laughs> Uh, especially with Dromoka in play, that will come up a lot. Here's <laughs> Dragonlord Dromoka. I know you're sitting on a hand of six cards, four or five of which are blue and disruptive. I know you have your Flusterstorm. So I'm just going to play Yogmas Will. Is that cool with you? Um, <laughs> but <sighs> Yogmas Will was winning for me when I was ahead. Mm, yes. And the, the classic win more that, that some people kind of paste on the card I've seen sometimes. It's a great card, and they're, it's it's possibly the most powerful sorcery in the game. So, of course, there were some times where, where it was good and I won and it wasn't win more. That happened occasionally. We're replaying this ponder, bringing back a fetch land, etc. was key to victory. But most of the time, it was win more. And Demonic Tutor is a great card, but then I got to the point where... I wanted to cut the underground sea for Volcanic Island, and then I had to ask myself, is it really worth screwing up the mana base this much just to have Demonic Tutor? No, it, it wasn't, so I cut Demonic Tutor. Knowing the metagame, main deck deck fade in, easy choice, I'd say. If you're going to go away from mm -hmm. black, you of course strengthen your red. Yeah. it's Red, red is a very solid color. I think that, mm -hmm. I think that the value... Like, like I don't know about the the price value, but like the play value of Underground Sea has been dropping to Volcanic Islands. I think that's a big thing to think about, and also Tundra's been on the rise. I think that if you look at certain metagames, yeah, that Underground Sea might be mm -hmm. third, and I think that's insane because everything that I've been used to, it's the big blue decks with their Yawpaw's mm -hmm. Will to kill you playing Demonic and Vampiric Tutor. And the idea that someone could say, I right. think that Underground Sea might be third, and you might be right, I think is mm -hmm. crazy and awesome at the same time. And I, 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 I don't know, it's just, there's so many factors and so many things, but I really like that. I, I, I think that Underground Sea is sort of the symbol of, like, older vintage, like going back a few yeah, years. Yeah, I've heard it described... As the old money of vintage. Underground Sea or Underground Sea decks is really... Yeah, that is a perfect way to put it. The old money of vintage. It's that guy mm. you sit across from, just throws his stuff on the table, doesn't really care about what he plays. He's able to deny tutor for Yawgmoth's will and just kill you in some sort of fashion. If he's putting together a Volky And he used to be or... winning the tournaments. 
Yeah, he used to be winning the tournament, and now he's 79th out of 80th because someone played a Sphere of Resistance. <laughs> right, and, and you know, or, or somebody has Pyroblast or Casting out of one of their four Volcanics, or they have a Source right. to Plowshares that they're using on their... Or a Flusterstorm. Or a Flusterstorm, or just stuff that... It, it's changing so much, and that read and that seed, like the red, third, maybe second. Red might be second in vintage. And and if it wasn't for Yogmoth's Will, it's some crazy universe where Yogmoth's Will is banned. Black is third, no question. Maybe even fourth. Maybe even fourth. I mean, I was green. green is great. You need, yeah. <laughs> you need, yeah, you, you need you Tropical green. Island to be competitive. <laughs> you, need to, you need that fast bond. You How need else that... are you going to play Flashback Ancient Grudge? <laughs> and yeah, it, in, in fairness, I mean, black is as legitimate a card as green. Uh, Black black is I, I I am not saying black is third. I'm saying black is still second. But I, I would say black is third. When I see, you're saying black is third. When I when I see an underground sea, I interpret it. Um. Well, you know what? I would put volcanic, uh, red as first. Right. And then it would probably be between black and white for second and third. Right. Yeah. And... But when I see Sorry, when I see an underground sea, I think that someone has no respect for their their shot match or their their gush match and i think they're they just want to have a, a good time and they're they're kind of reckless yeah so for your deck one thing i've noticed which after that we can go to your tournament which we're, we're an hour in and we're just now getting to the tournament so we've gone through a lot and uh, that's that's been pretty awesome so sudden shock in the sideboard that's easy it's good against mentor but one thing that i've noticed has not never changed through all of your list were two pyrite spell bombs <laughs> I used to play three spell bombs. I used to play either spell bomb, <laughs> Nile spell bomb, and pirate spell bomb. And with the recent changes in the metagame, I switched to two pirate spell bombs. And they're so useful in such a variety of circumstances, both obvious and non obvious. Like, for instance, I don't think on first glance it would be apparent that my finals match against. Grixis Thieves would be so warped by me having pirate spell bomb you, both games. You they I don't think they mentioned it in the uh, commentary, but you having that pl in play and never tapping a red source, never like tapping mm -hmm. out with a red source, mm -hmm. meant that you never could be blown out. And I think that's I didn't even realize that until you mm -hmm. just said it right now. Like that's that is a pretty awesome thing for something that's basically shock. If you if you told me, good thing I had this yeah. uncounterable shock. Uh, seal of fire. There, I'll go. I'll go seal of fire. Good thing I had seal of fire in play, so my opponent could not steal my Jace activation, could not steal my ancestral recall. I guess he can't <laughs> still dig. I really like that. When I noticed that, I, I when you look at a deck, you really can see a lot of work's been put into it. And the fact that you had two pirates is not was not just a well. I need something to kill with. It's like no, this card's good when I draw it. And it's the the card is good. <laughs> the card the card is really good, and I think that yeah. I, I I don't know I, I remember playing with it a long time ago when, when Mirrodin mm -hmm. was a, was a standard thing, and I, I I don't ever remember not liking drawing yeah. it. It, it it really does everything, which is goofy because it's this dumb common that no one pays attention mm -hmm. to. But I I, yeah. I really like it. It kills containment priests, which is a primary concern these days for a deck running oath of druids. Um, one thing that's really interesting about it is people may not know explicitly, 
But Oath of Druids decks, as powerful and oppressive as they can seem when you're playing against them, they do have an Achilles heel. You wouldn't know unless you played them. And that the Oath of Druids decks can be unusually soft to ritual-based combo or any artifact-based combo. Uh, so Oath of Druids versus Doomsday is not a favorable match. However, with this list, when I play against Doomsday, I usually lead, <laughs> if I can, by putting the Pyrite Spellbomb on the table, and that has been critical to winning a game against Doomsday so many times. But now that your secret... They can't combo out with Laboratory Maniac. Now that your secret's out, though, about Pyrite Spellbomb, they're going to start playing Chromatic Sphere? I found this out <laughs> at the Grand Prix, that the, the draw card in Chromatic Sphere is a mana ability. It's faster than instance. So mm -hmm. if he's got no deck and he chromatic spheres, you can't pirate spell bomb it. So I may have just doomed you in a future if they're match. Putting... <laughs> I think if my opponent is putting bad cards in their deck, they <laughs> might play <laughs> against this. Uh, against if they're putting bad cards in their deck uh, to prepare for the contingency of facing Dragon Lord Salvager's Oath. Even if I lose, I consider that in itself a victory. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Aurin, let's go. Well, first off, I'd like to mention that of your past four tournaments, you have won three of them, which is pretty good. You have a 75% win percentage so far from the NYSE. So you won the NYSE, you won the BMG, you won the Manager and Vintage League. And... Oh, no, oh, no I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You, you didn't win the NYSE. You played in the NYSE. And then you won the, your next three tournaments. So I, I guess you're three in a row right now. I guess is a better way to put it. And so from there... There was, oh. there was a tournament at 5Ds that I scrubbed out of. I played a joke deck. I called okay. it Diamond City Vault after my hometown of Wilkesbury, which is the Diamond City. It was this mess of a deck with like Tezzeret and Seed of the Synod and Dragonlord Dramoka. Um, <laughs> and it, it was a total hot mess. And I, I was paired against a Hate Bear deck that was really in it to win it. And they, they just put every nasty Hate Bear you could imagine on the table, including Vryn Wingmare, the new Hate Bear, that flying 2 1 with Thalia's ability. The, the Flying Glow Rider. Mm hmm. Yes, it's yes, good. It's flying. Yeah, it, I, I, I definitely like it. I think flying means a lot. It, it sounds goofy, but it flying does, is me. Flying right. is meaning more and more. Flying's meaning more and more whenever it's got these pyromancers and these monks and all this other stuff. No, flying is. Yes. Yeah. One. Okay, so we have Steel Hellkite, Gristlebrands, Sphinx of the Steelwinds yep. as the three big flyers. I want to put Jamoka there, but Jamoka's. I'm gonna put it as a, as a rough four. We have three big flyers and in we vintage. Have... And, I'm and there's one? Consecrated Sphinx. Well. Consecrated Sphinx, there we go. So I guess I'll put Jamoka at 5. So Consecrated Sphinx isn't played as much. Um, Sphinx to steal one is a big tinker target. Gristlebrand as an mm -hmm. oath target. Hellkite as a I can cast it. I have two black lotuses in play. Um, yeah. Having a, a, a Vryn Wingmare being able to hit your opponent for a good amount of damage, I think is, is pretty good. And I, I, I think that the, the card is picking off kind of slowly, but I think it's going to get a lot bigger than it has been. And I also think I, I, I think you're right. And uh, Abbot of Carol Keep, I think, is due for a little love. It seems goofy, but draw a card can, in Vintage mm -hmm. is a lot easier. I guess it sucks if you flipped like a Force of Will, but you shouldn't be playing that in a deck with Force of Will. So problem that's solved. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I can I I can see like that deck making some splashes. But so you you walk up to the tournament, you have your your. No Yawgmoth's Will, no Demonic Tutor, um, Dragon Lord Salvager's Oath, which they never named it right on the coverage, which I, dis I, I, 
I don't like, but I can understand space concerns. Yeah, he... Um, and so you sit down for round one. Let's hear about your tournament. You can just go for the whole thing. And I... I all it's, right. Cause that's all you. Oh. All right. Well, I... Hmm, I'm in the process of writing a tournament report for Black Magic okay. Gaming, which we'll, we'll have up there sometime soon. But my first match was Dredge. Um, <laughs> I played so against can... Dredge. And we, I, we can go quickly hmm? through this. If we can go if you're writing up a term report. We don't have to go too much into it. We can go to the to the hot stuff if you prefer. Like what what people saw in coverage, and we could I, save save the the rest of your tournament if you if you prefer. Either way, I, I can some of the highlights. I, I'll just name the matches I played. I played against Dredge shops 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 won all of that <laughs> then i played against dredge again and lost not because i couldn't find dredge hate i had more than enough dredge hate i just could not find a business spell for the longest oh. time in game three it was like i had all the dredge hate and i had grizzlebrand in my hand and i was one man away from playing him but <laughs> i just didn't draw anything after that it, it was ugh. so then i played uh bomber esper bomber man Landstill, Landstill. Really? Um, yep. Tezzeret Mentor, like a Steel City Mentor type of deck. And then at the end of what we all saw, which was game three against Will McGrand, what was not on camera was game one, where I won the die roll and I announced to the small audience around us, I said, oh my God, that means I win the match, doesn't it? <laughs> joke that Shop is so die roll dependent. It was somewhat prophetic. First six cards... We're, we're looking at something like, say, Force of Will, Dig Through Time, Oath of Druids, Mox, something, <laughs> and then two other blue cards. And I'm thinking, I, I always like to examine my cards one by one. It's just a stylistic thing. I, I look at them one by one. I'm like, darn it, I have to mull mulligan this. And then the seventh card is Forbidden Orchard. So what I ended <laughs> up with was Orchard, Mox, Go. Force of Will back up. And then another Force of Will is my next draw. So... I had an unfair broken oath opening against Will. <laughs> that, that, this was round 10? That was round 10. That was game one. Game two, uh, he locked me out of the game, and then we went to game three, and that was when they moved us into the feature area where he led with a sphere, and I had Forbidden Orchard, Black Lotus, Oath of Druids. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I guess we can talk about your, your physical cards because we saw it on camera. So you said you borrowed power for this event, right? Or was that is that your power? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's correct. Since I returned to Vintage, I built my collection from the bottom up. Some say you should buy the power first and then build it down. Others suggest bottom up. And I, I like that more because I was able to have a more extensive collection to switch between decks whenever I wanted to. So I, I'm at the point now where the only thing I have left to acquire is power. I have everything that I want up to and including there. And I got a little sidetracked because I found that I liked foils. So uh, <laughs> I definitely for did aesthetic reasons, I went and I purchased i purchased a lot of foils that you might say are unnecessary and uh, extravagant but i did foil pyrite spell bomb foil yes. repeal um four different language foil um orchard and orchard. orchards <laughs> and then there a lot of stuff in my binder is foil because i i just thought they were so pretty that it was like well i'll get the mox jet and the mox ruby later on I, there's not the total joy of owning a mox for me because i've already owned them several mm -hmm. times over and then parted with them for a hundred dollars and and then <laughs> the, the idea of spending eleven hundred dollars to own something i've already owned it, it was easy to see why i wanted the foils first something shiny <laughs> new and exciting 
So I, I, Calvin uh, lent me his power. He agreed to do that very early on in the year. He, we're, we're, he's also a member of the Academy, the collaborative group. And he said, everyone in here is covered. And, <laughs> and so it was. So before the event, I, I got a stack of 10 cards. They said, these are from Calvin. Uh, it included the time vault, which I didn't use. I have the time vault in my binder. I'm keeping it safe there. Um, <laughs> and his his fantastic altars. They're altered to look like uh, a stained glass church window theme, and they're gorgeous. I, I love I love the mox. I really loved those uh, mox altars. They're really nice. The 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 walk in the ancestral. I couldn't really tell from mm-hmm. the coverage. What what? How are those done? Well, stained glass. Okay, so it's the the same stained glass effect. Mm-hmm. And the uh, he ha- he had an entire deck done out in this theme. It was a bug vault key deck, and the mana crypt and the soul ring and the death rise shamans and abrupt decay. They're all they all contribute to this theme. It's really a gorgeous work of art. And if you fly out for an event on the East Coast, I definitely encourage you to ask him to see it in person because. It's such a triumphant success of as a work of art, and 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 in a way, he's part of your win too, which I think is pretty cool. Like, he he didn't play in the event because he was he's a vendor, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so in a way, right, he was part of your win, which also was really cool, and 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 goes right back to what we were saying before about the camaraderie and about how it's really a format that brings a lot of people together which I think is really cool. I've made some of the best friends I've made in my life. I've been, I'm 35, so I have been through many different social circles <laughs> based on employment, a school, this school, that school, mm-hmm. then a club scene when I was in my 20s and, and various different hobbies. And the magic community is, the vintage community is probably my favorite of all time. I, I, I love the people in it. I would love to ask Richard Garfield. I feel like he's been asked this a million times. If he realizes how many friendships, relationships, lives that he's helped by just making a game because the company he was working for was like, hey, let's make a card game that people can play in between their D&D sessions. Like this, the, the humblest <laughs> of beginning. The humblest of beginning, it, it created careers, like not even just pro players, streamers, people who run, run card shops, like... I, I do not see card shops being as big a thing as they are now without Magic. Like, that's the main Agreed. card game. And he, he invented collectible card games. So it'd be like, card shops would just be guys selling baseball cards that people do nothing with. I guess you could trade them. I guess you could try to admit a game out of them. But they don't really do anything. That's... I, I, I sometimes look for card collections on uh, Craigslist, and I see so many sports cards. I'm just like, you can't even do anything <laughs> with them. They're just these these weird tiny paintings. So I guess just photographs. It's like you have a photo album, and it's like, oh, this guy has some stuff on it. And, mm-hmm. you know, making it a game, making it a social game, a, a multiplayer game, a game where tournaments are, it just it does so much. And that sort of thing i guess starting at the first world and then the first pro tour and it slowly builds up and i did have a slump for a little while but now it's 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 bigger biggest it's biggest it's ever been yeah and magic online opened up the format we had almost 500 players how ridiculous is that 500 players in a vintage event where where proxies aren't allowed like that that sort of thing is just i, I it's awe inspiring um, Nick Koss gets a lot of credit for that as well. And the, the regional 
organizers, people who stick with vintage and offer vintage locally, despite the fact that they might get a higher turnout if they were to jump ship to modern or standard mm-hmm. or maybe even legacy or limited. Uh, they've kept it alive, and it's these local communities that also funnel the interest in these larger events. And so much has has gone into making the vintage scene bigger than it's been in 20 years. I I definitely have to agree, and I'm a little sad that it's kind of East Coast based. Well, mm. it's just it's not really out here. It is more north. The Unimonia, right. like those tournaments. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm in this this desert of vintage, like where I don't really have anything out here. Um, I I guess I could try to get some stuff started, but it's it's kind of hard to build a format uh, a format for a, a group for that format from the ground up. But yeah. I I'm kind of a spectator for it, but I'm kind of in for it. You know, like have I'm not the best. Have you gone to the um, Have you gone to any of the events in Studio City? No, I, I've. I've, I haven't really done much. Like I said, I, I restarted this year, mm-hmm. and my my biggest event I played in were those three side events I played in. And, okay. uh, and they, other than that, I've just been playing, you know, FNMs. Because there's a, there's a store right near me. I play in it every now and then, but I'm, I'm busy with stuff. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, sure. I, I could do that, but, you know, I've got this to work on, and I've mm-hmm. got this program to learn how to do. And, you know, it's eh, having friends for it, having people to talk about with it, thinking about it i guess i Mm -hmm. I think is 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 really good and you know i found myself liking just to watch cockatrice games rather than actually play it. yeah it's it's very fun (laughs) where i mean where does all the time come from to uh follow vintage well here's one place where most of it comes from i used to try to play some of my favorite video games where i would play like six or seven a year since that one vintage event that i i went to two and a half years ago I have completed no new PlayStation, <laughs> PC, exp- nothing. Like, that's just off the table. All- I, uh... <laughs> oh, I, forget the, I forget the name of the game. But I've, I've, I've beat one game in the past four years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that's because it was kind of short, and I beat it in, like, four days. But, yeah, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it takes over your life. But it, it's a positive way. Like, I've learned so much vocabulary from it. it it's kind of goofy. But... You're going off topic again, but I, I think that's perfectly fine. So stuff we saw on camera, that match was awesome. You had the first turn oath, and it was just academic from there. We didn't see your quarterfinals. Your quarterfinals was against Delver. Um, I, I forgot to yes. write down the player, but I'm sure you remember his name. I was Ryan Eberhardt. He's a professor at Penn State. He's from North Dakota. Um, he's a really? friend, and he's he's a great guy. He's an absolute sweetheart and a genius. <laughs> so so intelligent and he's an excellent player he came in third or fourth place in 2014 he was on camera against oath of druids in the semifinals of the 2014 oh man (laughs) so he's gotten knocked out in the top eight of vintage champs twice now by oath by oath yes Just get a and, video and, of him getting to rip a, an Oath of Druids in half, just because it keeps <laughs> it keeps just blocking an Oath of Druids in half. Um, <laughs> it's our match is not a reflection on his skill or even my skill. All all it illustrates is how lopsided the Delver versus yeah. Oath matchup is, and it also doesn't mean that Delver is a bad bre- deck to bring to the event because the decks they have different positionings amongst all the other members of the metagame. 
it's it's a great choice. It's it's a fine deck. I mean, Delver is con- has been consistently successful for a long time now, and Ryan Ryan plays it phenomenally well. That said, it's still Delver versus Oath. It's still so... Delver versus Oath. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I guess in that retrospect, for a player of his caliber to watch him just lose to this stupid one in a green enchantment, he can't do anything about. I guess it's good that they weren't on camera because the the Sol- Sullivan Brophy matches were. were awesome to watch like it, yeah i him fighting through hate is 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 pretty amazing i guess we already talked about it, but like i guess we're, we're going back to the top eight him fighting through hate is like i don't know how he does it but like people should definitely anyone who wants to play oath um i don't know if they're still up from the nysc three because he was in that top eight i don't know if they're still up on card titan i don't need to double check but you can just watch the the top eight if you really want to know how to like how to play oath I mean, I'm sorry, not Oath. Uh, how to play Dredge and card choices, and because he puts so much thought into them. I think we've given him enough props. We need to go back to your props. So you win your you win your quarters. It's Oath for Stalver. On a side note, um, I found out today uh, that one of Ryan's students after class came up to him and said, are you the Ryan Eberhart that <laughs> top-aided the Vintage World Championship? How amazing is that? I it's what a movie star feels right yeah. like he, he that well that's twitch that's twitch that's twitch's popularity and it getting on there but like that's that's movie star quality that's you recognized me i don't know who you are you know my name and want to talk to me like that's mm-hmm. that, that that has to be a feeling unlike any other and i i've always wanted to have and, that feeling yeah. and i i bet it's amazing have you gotten that yet um I, I don't I suppose so. I, <laughs> I get well I guess it, the one player that was like, "Hey, you made this deck, right?" That I guess that's close to it. Uh yeah, I I, I would never style myself a celebrity <laughs> we have 7 8 billion people in the world and I know that no matter what I do, uh, there are people out there that are going to be doing things that are more important. Yeah. So many people deserve a lot of credit. So I I learned in my 20s not to not to ever think that I'm the best thing ever because that's a common <laughs> attitude for people in their early 20s going to grad right. school to get a big head. And I learned a lot of life lessons and I've I have I believe that at my advanced age that I have a, <laughs> a healthier perspective. I I at least hoped so. So I I I don't identify as a celebrity. The, the idea is strange to me because I know people that like really should qualify as a celebrity. Like my evidence professor wrote the Pennsylvania Rules of Evidence and, and she was amazing. She could speak so well. She would throw out these adverbs in the middle of class in her sentences so effortlessly. I, was, I would always think, why can't I speak like that? <laughs> um, so for me to put myself on that level or or just so many amazing people I've met in my life. I, I don't think I can elevate myself to that level of a luminary. Maybe <laughs> right, even that, no matter what I do, I just <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. So it's the semifinals. It's game three against Paul. Paul, I always say his last name wrong. Uh, Mastriano or Mastriano? Mas- Mastriano. I'm sorry, Paul. I've heard both. Um, and you look at your hand, and it has force of will. With a blue card and a mental misstep, and your opponent's going first. How how do you feel looking at that hand against the dreaded shops matchup? 
nervous, very nervous, because <laughs> my hand was Forbidden Orchard, Black Lotus, Dak Faden, Force of Will, Mental Misstep, Brainstorm, and Ancient Grudge. And it's good against most shop openers, but it's not good against Thorn plus mm-hmm. Chalice Zero. So, uh, although it looks like it's a good hand, and it could be a good hand, and it turned out to be a good hand, I was in trouble if there was a Chalice of the Void involved. That's a, that's a good point. But instead, it was Cage stepped, I forget what else he played, um, but it got forced, and... He played Strip Mine, Graph Digger's Cage, I misstepped that, and then he played Mana Crypt and Thorn of Amethyst, and I forced that. Right. It's possible that I didn't have to force it because I could have played Forbidden Orchard, um, Black Lotus, and my first draw was Mox Pearl, but that's still not the right conjugation to get Dak Faden onto the table. But you know, it's a thorn, and I'm on the draw, and, and who knows what's going to come after that? So, yeah. well, maybe not much, but I just don't <laughs> like I don't like thorns and spheres. So, yeah. anytime I could get rid of it for zero, get rid of it. Yeah. That that well. I guess that that's really the... I don't know if there's any other points you wanted to go on, but I found that in a lot of matches, there's kind of the one play that defines it, and then the rest of it's just sort of putting your opponent away. Unless it was, and any any feelings from the semis, and then we can go to the finals. I, it was a complicated match, and it was... It was still difficult in game three because there were there were a lot of things going on with the top of my library. I had a Sphinx of the Steel Wind in there, which ordinarily I could have just drawn into my hand and pitched to deck Faden. However, I had already done that with Grizzlebrand. So I knew mm-hmm. if, that if I put the Sphinx into the graveyard that I'm down to Jace the Mind Sculptor and Ariak Salvager as my only win conditions. And they're more mana intensive. So I, I wanted that Sphinx... I wanted to still have access to that Sphinx of the Steel Wind. And it, it was difficult to set things up so that I wouldn't dack away the Sphinx from my library into the graveyard. Because once you set up the top three, you draw a card, and then if you use dack instantly, you have to either get rid of the good card that you chose to draw that turn, or put the Sphinx in the graveyard, neither of which I wanted to do. Yeah, I... I... They didn't notice it, but I noticed you were floating that Sphinx of Steel in for a long time. And mm-hmm. I, I guess people are talking about slow play, but it's just... I, I saw what you were no, doing. You were uh, just kept that... floating it to the bottom and going through and getting what you want. And it, it was it was very, very cleanly played. And you definitely deserve that that third game Thank win. You. And I, I, I guess I... It, it can be, you know, you had a good opener, but, you know, it's shops. Like, he, gets, he draws three cards and they're all bad for you and then you lose, you know? Yeah, it's, it's shops. It's always going to be uphill. And regarding slow play, I've heard complaints of slow play against... Uh, people, about six or seven people, and the thing that these people have in common is, with all modesty and respect, they're people that consistently do very well, and I am not trying to be arrogant at all, but I, I think that thinking through your plays and not rushing through them is something that is important to winning. I, I don't think on a board with Jace the Mind Sculptor and Dak Faden and since his Divining Top, you, you want to be like, oh, uh, I'm just going to activate plus one Dak Faden. Uh, now I'm going to brainstorm. Now I'm going to top. Uh, I'll just shift the turn. I don't really care what I did. Oh, is this the semifinals <laughs> of the World Championship? Well, there's there's someone at home in their nightgown watching on Twitch who's impatient. <laughs> I, 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 you've got me there. You, 
Mm-hmm. Couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better. Um, so to the finals against the Grixis Thieves, which once again, hearing about your past is kind of funny that you faced off against <laughs> a Notion Thief deck after having cut it mm-hmm. from your deck and having loved yes. playing with it for so long. You get to face against what you did to people for so for so many months. <laughs> that that one that that I don't. Ugh. Like, he almost activated that Jace, but I don't know if it would have mattered. And I think everyone kind of agrees. I don't know if... I, I haven't seen anything from him, but I think he would agree that, like, he probably should have been brainstorming and setting up better turns with it. Um, I could see you, you, take a, you take a line and you follow that line, and him suddenly changing gears midway probably would have been bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just kind of don't agree. I, I, how you felt about it. like he 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 fate sealed every turn. How did you like seeing that that the first from the first fate seal to the second fate seal? Pretty much everyone knew what his plan was. How did you feel about that? Well, right off the bat, I will say that I I had almost no fear of being targeted with Jace Ultimate. I mm-hmm. was fairly confident all game that that would not happen. Um, and I was relieved when he began to fate seal himself because I think he might have been able to win that game had he been brainstorming. He could probably agree in retrospect. That said, I think there was a lot of intelligence and perhaps a lot of testing of the standard Oath of Druids matchup behind his decision to do that. Because what we know of as Oath of Druids is very cold to a resolve Jace. And yes, although he yeah. re- although he knew that my deck was different than other Oath decks, it might not have been clear how different it was. That this deck is really in the Bomberman family of decks rather than coming from the Oath show-and-tell school. Um, And although he reviewed the actual deck list, it's right before the finals, and you, Mm -hmm. you see a list of 75 cards, and from his perspective, many of them might have been cards that he didn't... that people haven't seen before. So you can gloss over things like repeal engineered explosives. You can see Pirate Spellbomb and think, okay, that's just his combo piece. You're not thinking I'm going to try to Jace Ultimate him and he's going <laughs> to take this from 13 down to 11. This list has a lot more tools to prevent itself from being Jace Ultimated than a standard Oath list, which if they show and tell the Grizzle Brand, Jace can bounce it. The removal in the main deck of, of that deck is Abrupt Decay, which doesn't affect Jace. So getting Jace on the table and fate sealing your opponent is so often the, the correct strategy against Oath of Druids. He may have had experience testing against Oath of Druids and found that that was the most successful strategy. And that might have been an informed and intelligent play. Now that you put it that way, that makes perfect sense. Because playing against a two Gristlebrand Oath deck... Right. It, it can't, like, it just minus one bounces your Gristle Brand. You can oath up another one, minus one bounces your Gristle Brand. I can yeah. still stay on this plan. Like, now that you put it that way, that I that makes perfect sense. So you, you've got me there. I guess let everyone know and let him know that going on that plan against a double Gristle Brand or even triple Gristle Brand oath deck would probably work very well. Yeah, they they don't have repeal. They don't have engineered explosives. They certainly don't have two pyrite <laughs> spell bombs just to buy time. Um, Do you think? What was his face like when he played it? Did he make a face, or was he just too much in the zone? Uh, I think he was happy because when I probed him, he did not have a turn one Jace. He had a time walk, 
a land, another land, and a mox, and no fourth mana source. Mm -hmm. And his draw for the turn was, I believe, mox emeralds. So he was able to just time walk and put down the jace. Now, even if he did start brainstorming with it, I wasn't completely out of the game because my hand had a lot of gas. My hand that game was Mox Pearl, Sensei's Divining Top, Gitaxian Probe, and it was like Force, Dig Through Time, Ancestral Recall, and something else. So when I spun the top and I found... And Flusterstorm. So when I spun the top, I saw Talarian Academy in there. I grabbed that. <laughs> um, and I played Ancestral with one blue floating. I had a Flusterstorm if he were to force my Ancestral Recall, which he didn't. And... Um, I, I was I, I saw Library of Alexandria after my ponder. I was at seven cards. And so I, I was completely in the game at that point. I was relieved when he fate sealed again because I knew he was sitting on Force of Will, Manor Drain, Flusterstorm. But I had Force Dig, Force Dig, Flusterstorm, and I think Dak Fade and Oath of Druids at that point with Library of Alexandria active. And as a as I was looking through my top, I I had Aria Salvagers in there. So I while he was taking his Jace up, I was pretty sure that wasn't going to happen because I would have been able to recur the Pyrite Spellbomb at least once per turn if I needed to, as well as pressure his Jace with the Aria Salvager. Yeah, that's that's definitely a very good point. And um, mentioning Tillian Academy, knowing you, it was kind of funny to... I forget when it happened, but you were delving cards and you were going to delve your academy and you stopped for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at your academy and it's like, this, I love this. I, okay, got to delve it. I just, I felt like four people in the world found that funny. Was this against <laughs> Workshop? I do not remember when this happened, but I remember you taking a second on a delve to just look at your academy. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, I have no... Yogmas will or snapcaster made so an ancestral in the graveyard is a burned ancestral it's not coming back unless my opponent time twisters the things that i like to keep in my graveyard are artifacts that the rx salvager can bring back and lands if i'm playing against workshop in case a crucible of worlds appears that i steal with my dak faden mm, okay well i guess in my in my in my head it was you just pondering it for a second like i don't know if i can do this to you <laughs> <laughs> i delved dromoka once in in our vintage league the mana drain vintage league and that was heartbreaking that i i felt bad yeah i had to do it but it, it broke my heart <laughs> so i guess we can go to the second game of the finals you probe your opponent he's holding just a Yawgmoth's will. Um, I read the coverage. I forgot they did actually did written. I didn't realize they did written coverage. They only did it for the finals. Mm -hmm. You're like, hey, what you got? And he's like, a great card. And he shows Yawgmoth's will. And you're like, well, I wasn't lying. And you dig through time. And in the dig through time is your Oriox Salvagers and your Black Lotus. Mm -hmm. The lo Salvagers was the seventh card, I believe. And the Lotus <laughs> was the first or second. And even though his graveyard was not completely stacked... I did not want Yogmoth's will to resolve because any right. top deck for his draw phase could have turned that into a nightmare. Imagine if it were Black Lotus or Ancestral Recall. Imagine it being like Ancestral Recall, draw three cards, play Yogmoth's will, replay Ancestral Recall. That could have been a disaster. Yeah. So I was looking for a Force or a Fluster Storm, and um, <laughs> I think there was one in there. But the second card I saw was Black Lotus, and I thought, 
it would be so awesome if <laughs> Obama-Man was just here and the seventh card was the Ariok. So I thought, you know, I don't need to worry about what'll happen if I pass the turn. I don't need to prepare for that at all. I'm just going to end the game right now. And that's what I did. And you found yourself one original painting richer. And I think you got you got store credit, right? Card Titan store credit? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. It was a very generous prize package. It's, I'm, I'm still kind of in disbelief that all of this occurred. I, I certainly didn't prepare for it. I've never had a moment where I thought, this is what I'm going to do if I win the Vintage Championship. It just wasn't <laughs> on the radar. I, I have to say, it's the first time in my life, to be a tiny bit selfish, that someone I knew was on camera at a high level event <laughs> and cheering for you the entire time it, it, felt, it, it felt really good i mean who else am i gonna riff? I, there are a bunch of great players but you're the only one i've ever had a conversation with you're the only one i've had like an extensive conversation with Thanks. like rich shay i've talked to him a little bit mm -hmm. but you know he's a great guy i think the way the bracket would is you would have faced him in the yeah you would have faced him in the semis i think that would have been a pretty exciting match but for someone that I know personally, I've talked to, to win in a big event like that, it, it, it feels awesome. And when you won, when you agreed to do this interview, I have to say I, I'm, I'm thankful that you agreed to it because that's, that's really cool of you. And I think if this entire day, that entire day can be summed up, couldn't have happened to a nicer person. I, I, I deeply appreciate that because sportsmanship has always been an important issue for me. As, as someone in their, who came back to vintage in their mid-30s, having uh, done quite a bit in their 20s, both good and bad, um, <laughs> the idea of, I'm going to go to a local vintage event and I'm going to try to scum people out of a victory mm -hmm. <laughs> at a local hobby, like, it's just, it's so undignified. And this needs to be a format that values community and sportsmanship above all else. If you win, I think you should want it to be because you had good deck design, made a good deck choice, and played well. Not because you dredged up some arcane rule like, <laughs> uh, but you have to do this with with your... Uh, I don't even know how many strange hey. trigger things are out there. <laughs> I, I have... I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I have very little respect for people who try to uh, ch cheese people out of the game with legalese. I think it's so unbecoming, and I think it makes the person doing it look pathetic. To me, it says that they have their priorities in life screwed up because you should not be acting that way at a vintage event. I apologize for getting on the soapbox, but sportsmanship no, and winning the game based on your skill in the game itself, I think needs to be paramount because I think that's what people really want to see. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. The amount of takebacks I've let happen in, like not pass the turn takeback, but like I played the wrong land or I messed this up or, oh, this, this touched the table. Mm -hmm. It's still in my hand though that I've let back because I wouldn't want that to happen to me. Exactly. I, I, I That's I, how you got to think about it. Like I, I, I have been rules lawyered in my life. It didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I have lost because of it, but I would never want to do that to somebody. No. And regardless of it being kind of a one-way street, some people tell me, oh, it's kind of a one-way street. You got to do it. You know, this, that, this, that. I would rather be the guy that loses because he allowed his opponent to have a take back, which when you think about it, means that you would have lost the game anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I don't... I just... Eh. If, if And if you want credit as... 
of someone who designs decks for the deck to speak for itself, the story cannot be that the deck failed to accomplish its mission, but the player won the game because the player was a, I don't want to use profanity <laughs> here. That doesn't really prove anything about what the des- what is in the actual deck design itself. It has to be able to win on its own merits. Yeah, and I, as as you said, I completely agree that we're all going to make mistakes, especially as we get older. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've 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 I feel senile sometimes compared to how <laughs> how bright I felt when I was nineteen or twenty. I just felt like I had thoughts going through my head all the time and was so articulate. And now sometimes I can't even remember. <laughs> any i don't know anything it's it's just part of the aging process i know that that mistakes will happen and that i'm going to make them other people will make them and i it, i think if i want to be in an environment where where i can make a mistake and not be completely punished for it i have to contribute to that by not punishing others for it and i i've let people take back a lot of things the only exception is i usually don't take I usually don't let people take back their Chalice of the Void triggers, <laughs> but that's just because of that card. You know, that card is is so rude that if you're going to sit across <laughs> me at, with Chalice of the Void in your deck, that's the one exception. You're going to have to pay the price. I've, I don't like that rule. Pers- I don't really care for the rule, but I've only played, like, into it once, mm-hmm. knowing that I knew the card needed, needed to get countered. I just needed it in my graveyard for a threshold. You know, and like I, I've I've only done it once ever, and mm-hmm. it was he had a chalice in play. I had a threshold guy. I play it, I like to play ponder. Go into the chalice. You got it. Attack for three, like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But going back to the older thing, um, I'm definitely have been feeling it too. I playing the same deck. I'm I'm talking about legacy, but you know. I sacked a fetch land for threshold and I attacked and then I started to search for the land. My opponent was going to stop me. I was like, stop for a second. I was like, Oh, I, I guess I did screw that up. He just let it pass. And it's like, you know, that's not really that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it ended up mattering the match. I think it did. Cause if I just not gotten a land, I think I couldn't cast uh, a, a stifle. stifle. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. What I was playing, but like that, that sort of stuff. Like I, this, uh, the fact that, that it finally happened to me, that I could have gotten rules lawyer and it didn't happen, I think that feels pretty good. And I guess if we can just sort of wrap this all up, um, we've been talking for quite a while, but I've, I've enjoyed every every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Are you going to keep the painting? If so, where do you want to hang it if it's not already hanging in your house? That's a great question. And I don't know because I had no contingency plan in place <laughs> for acquiring the painting. I never thought, wow, uh, uh, my deck is so great, uh, and, and I'm so brilliant, uh, I can't possibly lose, I'm definitely coming home with, like, I didn't even think of it, I thought, I'm going to this event, it's going to be an awesome event, I'm going to have a great time, and then at the end of the night, I was asking people to help me carry the, this cardboard thing <laughs> in my car, and another cardboard thing, and all these bags, um, so, because I've been I've been busy this week, I've just had a lot going on, I, I haven't given it the thought that a decision like that is due yet. I mean, do you have an office? You can just hang it up in your office. That's what uh, Bob Maher does with his. He, even though he got second, he arranged a split with uh, Owen, and he, he has uh, Mox, he got the Sapphire, which I think is pretty pretty awesome. He has the Mox Sapphire hanging up in his office. I do. Vintage and World I, Champion. Hmm. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. I'm sure you got a lot of room in there. Uh, you would think. Although, no? Hmm. I I always saw it 
in more of a fireplace kind of setting or in the living room. But again, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just don't know. It, for now, it's it's wrapped up safely. Yeah, that that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess one more thing, because I, because I forgot to mention to it earlier. Do you use any of your Card Titan credit to foil out some more of your deck? Or are you still um, sitting on it? I, I haven't used it. I'm still sitting on it. If I do uh, get some of the power cards or some foils, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure some of the foils in particular that I would like to get would be Dak Faden and um, mm-hmm. Jace the Mind Sculptor. And also, oh, yeah. I, I would love a playset of Jace Viren's Prodigy. I think that card is bound for greatness. Matt Murray's been working on it so much with... Uh, some very successful and exciting results and I, I really like that card too and i'd love to have it in foil that would be pretty nice yeah matt matt's uh, sent me a couple deck lists over uh, facebook chat and i love innovators and he he like the angles he, he purchased some stuff from mm-hmm. like the the sideboard he had for it i guess i don't want to i guess i could sell it he has a transformational sideboard he so he's yeah. playing dragon he played dragon in the event i'm trying to contact him for an interview hopefully he follows up with it busy guy I'll let him know. He's, sort of a, he's a personal friend of mine. He's a he's a great guy. He has so much integrity. Just an impressive, great person through and through. He he agreed to it, but he hasn't gotten a chance to. I mean, so if you want to prod him, or hopefully he listens to this. <laughs> he, he he's great to talk to too. Mm-hmm. I, he's actually going to be the announcer for the uh, one of the commentators because he's Kale's in the a uh... genius, and he has, <laughs> he's a better Magic player than I am. He has outplayed me in ways. That are so shocking to me at times that that I almost get jealous. <laughs> like I almost get really envious, where I'm like, "Wow, he thought of that. He totally destroyed <laughs> me with that." And he, when I played humans, he uh, accumulated a record of having stolen every single human I ever played in my humans deck with his Sower of Temptation. <laughs> he stole the Noble Hierarch. He stole Arik Salvagers. He stole Mangus of the Future. He stole Trinket Mage. He stole Snapcaster Mage. He stole Dark Confident. He stole all of them. But he's never stolen a dragon, and he never will. <laughs> um, I don't know how we can top that, but if you have any last words, I'm, I am at the end of my list here. If you just want to cap, cap it off, let you have the last word. It's your, your win, your interview, so go ahead. Uh, thank you to everyone who has helped keep the format alive because it's it's been a great part of my life. Uh, if if it weren't for local communities keeping it alive, I I wouldn't have made so many great friends at such a, a perfect stage in my life to to get reinvolved with Magic. And thank you specifically to Nick Koss, uh, Calvin Hodges, Justin Kohler, and Matt Murray. So I guess from here we're just gonna say goodnight. Thank you very much for. Uh being talking to me for almost two hours i had a good time i had a great time thank you sam make make sure you let me know what you do with the painting i'm definitely interested sure thing 